it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Joss Singer, founder and CEO of Cognitive Marketing. Since its inception in 2006, the company has grown to over 300 full and part-time staff located in almost every major market across Canada. Currently, Cognitive is the number one rated sales and marketing agency on Glassdoor and has been recognized as the fastest growing marketing company in the country. Due to the company's success, Joss was recently named Marketing Magazine's 30 Under 30. He is also the founder and CEO of Optimi.ai, a tech company providing a video-based plug-in to e-commerce websites to enable staff to support customers online just like they do in-store. Josh enjoys running, riding his bike, and playing hockey. He's an avid traveler and a huge football fan, cheering for both the Ohio State Buckeyes and New Orleans Saints. Josh Singer, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate it. Uh, it's great to great to hear your voice again. We got a chance to chat recently, and I'm so excited because you are our first in a series of Canadian middle market CEOs. And uh, great to have you kick off. You've got such a terrific story, and I uh, can't wait to get into it with you on how you've you know started from uh, really the founding days of Cognitive, following your your university. But um, let's just talk a little bit about uh, the pandemic and how that's affected you, and obviously. Canada. Uh, I understand that you guys are, are either in a lockdown or going to be into one soon. And, you know, we're kind of experiencing that <laughs> on a 50 state basis. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. Where, where can I go and not be in lockdown here? But uh, how have you been holding up your family and how has Cognitive been doing these interesting times during these interesting yeah, times? Yeah, so it's been really interesting for sure. I think um, it's really funny because when I read uh, about politics in the U.S., mm. You'll you'll see, you know, the um, I guess, you know, people use the terms like liberals and a lot <laughs> of times it's on like almost as a bad thing. Whereas literally in Canada, the, the party that's running our government, it's called the Liberal Party. Right. <laughs> so right, in Canada, right. we are very liberal uh, yeah. in that sense. And so uh, over the last few days, actually, almost every major province uh, and again, same thing as the state, just in Canada, we call it a province. Um, almost every province has essentially gone into yeah. as close to a full lockdown as you could get. Wow. wow. Um, and so it's almost back to where we were, you know, almost a year ago in March. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, the difference is, is that I think we've been through it before. So on one end, I think people didn't want to have to go backwards. Like we've been through it. We want to move forward. So there's a little bit of that feeling of being tired and like, do we have sure. to do this again? Right, right. But on the other end, you now have the playbook. Um, yeah. So right. everyone's kind of going back to that same playbook, which has been um, easier, I think, this time around for everyone because we already know what's available to us. And and to be honest, uh, the Canadian government has really been super supportive, um, mm. both in terms of a lot of the frontline workers are are being uh, supported through government funding programs. Right. Many of them are right. earning more with government funding than they were, you know, just in their normal jobs. Right. Um, and then businesses, there's a lot of grants and subsidy programs that exist that I think overall we've done a good job of, of taking care helping of helping folks out. Yeah. yeah. Now it doesn't yeah. mean that there aren't many people struggling because there are just like in the U S there, you know, it's a difficult time. A lot of people are dealing with the health issues with, you know, being locked down and the mental health challenges that that causes. Sure, sure. Um, but the government has really basically taken on the majority of Really stepped up. That. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. And have you been personally affected by it? Has there been family members or, you know, any of your key staff that has contracted it? Or have you been staying fairly, you know, healthy and well through this whole, uh, gosh, nine, 10 months now? It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, none of my, uh, my direct family or myself have gotten it. Um, there's been like some of our coworkers, uh, some of their family have gotten it. Right, right. Um, you know, we do work in retail, so, sure. you know, every day a retail store has to close or either a full of the store or a department and the teams are notified. So we're, we're definitely hearing it quite a bit. Right. Um, maybe we've had one case in our entire company. So we've actually been quite lucky in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. But from great. a health perspective, we, we have not been impacted. Now, from oh, a personal great. perspective, um, I would say is certainly like you know, a year ago, uh, you know, or again in March when, when all this happened, right, it was right. really scary. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think everyone didn't really know what was going to happen. That's right. Yeah. And so that, that first, um, you know, call it week to two weeks of figuring out what was going to happen was extremely scary because, right. you know, my first fear is, Hey, if this goes on forever, or yeah. like even a <laughs> year. Happen. Right, right. And, you know, I had, you know, I didn't, the company didn't have enough cash that we could just be paying people for a year. Like at, we actually went uh, three and a half months with zero revenue. Like wow. we literally went down to zero because we staff sales reps in big box retail stores. Right. So Nobody's we literally working. went down to zero revenue yeah. and I'm like, Oh my God. But um, luckily, you know, the government uh, stepped in and provided. Did they? Yeah. Did you get support as well? Similar to the programs now? Yeah. South yeah we have a yeah. 75% wage subsidy. For those wow. That's great. Most, I mean, 75% of the wage is up to a certain wage amount, like higher paid salary isn't anywhere close to 75, but right, right. Um, they pay like 75% up to the first, uh, you know, 60,000, which yeah, means 45,000, the first 45,000 would get covered yeah. by the weight subsidy type right. thing. 
Well, you're the envy of most of us that live south of the border, I'll tell you. Exactly. <laughs> the, the imaginations that we've gone through in terms of the stimulus plans and so forth, we could spend a whole podcast on, but we won't because yeah. that's not what we're here today to do. But I'm glad to hear that you've been healthy and well and that your company has, you know, obviously made it through. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get in a little later in the podcast. But let's start with you. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about your early years, where, where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in, uh, you know, uh, a suburb of Toronto, Canada, mm -hmm. which is like kind of a mix between New York and Chicago. Right. And, yeah. you know, I'm the middle child of uh, three boys. So I have right. two brothers, yeah. one older, one younger. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, to me, like, it's probably the typical American joke, but I played hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. it's part of the credentials of being a Canadian, <laughs> right? You got to be out there doing it. And I, I love it. Really interesting. But like, you know, childhood, you know, really is like growing up with my two brothers, going to school, sure. uh, playing a lot of hockey, uh, playing competitive. And um, to me, you know, I think you know, part of my foundation really comes from that team sports and, and hockey and, and, and that competitive nature there still right. is with me today. That's yeah, right. right. When, um, but you know, I grew up in a middle, middle income family. I was, what did, what did dad do? Is he a careerist or? Yeah. Uh, my dad, uh, and my mom were both in marketing. So my dad okay. was running his own little, um, you know, direct marketing agent. Okay. And my mom was working for the Canadian Marketing Association. Okay. So dad, dad was the entrepreneur in the family? Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Cool. And um, any people, or do you remember any specific things that, you know, kind of influenced you? You obviously pursued a marketing career. You've also pursued an entrepreneurial direction. Were there, were there things that you observed from mom and dad that, you know, kind of led you down that field? Or was it a path that you kind of cut on your own? You know, I think uh, I would say nothing stands out as my parents um, encouraging me. In fact, I, my mom will hate that I'm sharing this. But for the, <laughs> when I started this company, which is my third company, it's now close to 15 years old. Right. Um, it was in my last year of college. And my mom, for the first six months to a year, kept on telling me to get a real job, get a real job. Get a real job get a <laughs> she real didn't job. want you to go down that path. <laughs> well, it was that. And also I, I started it in my last year of college and sure. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be like Bill Gates. I'm going to be like Phil Knight. I'm going to be like Steve Jobs. I'm not going to finish school. <laughs> I started my company in school and I don't need to finish school. So right. at first I didn't graduate. Like I was literally half a credit. I'm like, I don't even give a crap. I'm going to <laughs> my company. I'm going to turn to Steve Jobs. Who needs a degree? Right. Um, but right. my mom, um, really wouldn't stop saying, Josh, go finish your degree, finish your degree, finish yeah, your degree. Yeah. And she Good also kept on saying, um, get a job, get a job, get a job. <laughs> and she won on one of those two. And it I was a degree because I did not. And then eventually she's like, oh, good thing you didn't get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> good for but her. It good took her a while to get there. Get around yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, that's a typical parental reaction. I, I can I can certainly identify with that. What about, you know, you'd mentioned Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Were there people that you either look to for, you know, kind of guidance and influence or maybe mentors that were more directly involved, particularly during kind of your elementary and, you know, middle school, high school years where there, you know, folks or things that you remember from those periods of time? Yeah, I mean, I remember one one time it was probably like uh, 
would have been like a freshman or sophomore year in high school. And someone, we were talking about entrepreneurship. I was just like, I didn't even really know what it meant, but I'm like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant, I didn't, but it was like in my head, I was going to do it. Right, um, right. And so for whatever reason, it was just, that was what I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that it's just, that was kind of the path. And then my first company that I started actually happened because first company that I started actually happened because I applied to can't not get accepted to one mm -hmm. was like our big um, uh, drugstore chain. Mm -hmm. And the other one was our big movie theater chain. Okay. <laughs> and both of them didn't hire me. I got the interviews. They both didn't hire me. And literally, like, I don't know how it's possible to not get hired because they basically take anyone off the street. Um, <laughs> they probably knew you were an entrepreneur, you know, because <laughs> you, you, you presented risks to them, I, I suppose. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But anyway, so I didn't get those jobs. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I just said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to start my own gardening company. There you go. And I literally just created some crappy flyers on a piece of paper, like printed it off of a printer and started delivering them door to door. And the first year we only got four customers, but wasn't bad. And uh, I was still only 15 years old at the yeah. time. So, and uh, when I first started cutting those lawns, um, I, it, it was taking forever just to walk house to house, even in my local neighborhood. Just like, you know, if you're taking 15 minutes or 10 minutes in between houses, sure. Yeah. Uh, it was annoying. So I decided yeah. like the good Canadian I am that I, I decided, well, how do I speed this up? So I hopped on rollerblades yeah. and I would rollerblade with a lawnmower and a weed whacker from house to house. So in I my local it. neighborhood, cars would be driving by like, what is this kid doing rollerblading <laughs> with a lawnmower? Like just imagine why would anyone rollerblade with a lawnmower? It makes no sense. But uh, that's kind of how I- Kept you going, kept you going. Great. Was that your first entrepreneurial uh, activity, Josh? Or did you yeah. do other things even younger than that? Yeah. That was my first one when I was yeah. uh, 15 15. years old. And uh, I used my stepdad's uh, lawnmower. Okay. And I think the first or second time I cut- a customer's lawn, I destroyed the lawnmower. So I had to go and buy another one. <laughs> I, All I, of a sudden, the capital investments creep in, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah he wasn't too happy. But anyways, just, he got a new lawnmower out of it. So, it was, Were you a good student in school? Did you keep your grades up? Or I, yeah. I did. Um, I was School always came really easy to me. So in mm -hmm. that sense, right. I actually tried to do as little homework as possible, which I succeeded. <laughs> and I still maintained pretty good marks. So like, right. I was always an A student. And was the University of Toronto kind of your first pick for schools and, you know, made, made sense to go there because of location or was there something specific there that you wanted to go and study? Well, you see, and this is the thing is um, I, I didn't do any research on schools whatsoever. And mm -hmm. in fact, had I done my research, I probably wouldn't have gone there. So good thing that I didn't do my research. <laughs> um, but what happened was, is I was running this gardening company at the time. And, you know, we had about a hundred customers and wow. Yeah. Like a whole, like the whole, you know, employees, the truck, the trailer, all the fancy. So you, you started that at 15 and then did that all the way through college as well? Or, or yeah, did you I sold it really? after the first year? Ah, um, cool. Because what happened was, so when I went to college, I got accepted. Um, but I said, okay, because I'm running this gardening company, I can't leave town because right. we we're still, operating it like although i didn't have to be there on site every day like sure, i just didn't sure. feel comfortable unfortunately remote work wasn't in place back then 
Um, so I, I said, okay, I have to go to Toronto. So I applied to all three schools. Yeah. University of Toronto had a great reputation yeah. and I didn't do any research and I just went to university. I got uh, into all three and I just said, okay, I'm going to U of T. Yeah. And then when I got there, I realized how like it wasn't like I was expecting all these crazy parties and all this fun. <laughs> and we, I made sure I did that, but, um, you know, it was a lot more education focused. And is, is UT more fun. of a commuter school in the sense that people live at home and attend there, or do they have a dorm life? And they a, have a good. A dorm, and I actually moved yeah. into the dorms, and some of my you? best friends. One lives in Boston now, and he's from the states, and the other right. one uh, lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh-huh, also uh-huh. from the states. So yeah. I love Americans. My mom is American, um, and so actually, when I walked into my dorm the first day of school. And I saw an American flag draped over one. I literally started screaming. I'm like, yes! I was so happy. I'm like, I got an American roommate. It was amazing. And it was a match made in heaven. So, Oh, that's great. Terrific. Terrific. Wonderful. And so you studied commerce. Was was that, again, a choice or was that something yeah. that you, yeah. So it kind, it's kind like of I knew I was going into business. business. I knew right, I was going right. to be a business guy. Don't ask me why. I, I literally don't know why. Um, yeah, but it was yeah. like, I, probably because both my parents were in marketing. I'm like, I knew I was going to be sure. in business. And I'm just like, it's practical. Like, if I'm going into business, why wouldn't I just take businesses? Like, of course. Degree yeah. Type thing? Yeah. So you sold the gardening business. Did, did you yeah. have odd jobs or start another business while you're in school? Tell us a little bit about how that developed. And, and finally, of course, got into cognitive because I think you started cognitive marketing when you were a senior, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. So yeah. what happened was after going into what we call frosh week, I don't know what they call it in the States. But yeah. Yeah. Like your freshman. Massive yeah. party. Uh, yeah. And I'm just like, wow, this is way too much. I'm like, I don't want to have to, because I lived about 45 minutes um, out of school. Okay. I'm like, so I'm like, and you know, a few days a week, I'd have to go and, and oversee like our gardening operation. So like some days I'm not working, some days I was, I'm just like, I don't want to be uh, driving back and doing work after school. I'm like, I want to be partying. Sure. I want to be chasing girls. I want to be doing all the fun <laughs> stuff. I'm like this, I don't want to do this anymore. So that's why I decided to sell it. And it right. wasn't a massive exit, but from a, you know, college student perspective, it was pretty good. Yeah. And then. Um, yeah. So, and then, so that was after my freshman year. Right. And then, so for after the sophomore year, I had a job for one year, uh, like one summer as an intern and, um, our large Canadian, uh, chain, which is like equivalent of like a target or a Walmart is called Canadian tire. Mm-hmm. And same thing as yeah. like a big box retailer. And I got a job at their corporate head office for one summer. Okay. Right. And We're- what did that entail? What were you in? in uh, well, kind of in intern at their office for the first month. We were. I literally was myself and one other co-op that we were counting this um, contest program where like a scratch oh. and win huh. these cards, and it was like program was called Gas for Life because they also have their own sort of gas stations. Right. Um, and literally, I remember my boss coming in after like three weeks, and he's like you got to slow down because uh, <laughs> you're going to get these, all the work done. <laughs> this, these are going to be done. Like this has to last you the whole summer. Whole and, summer. I said to oh, him, gosh. and I said to him, I said, Adrian, you better, uh, I'm this is, you better find me work because there's no way I'm doing this all summer. I was going to ask you how quickly you got bored there. So oh it, my God. It, it come and on pretty quickly. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. uh, a great job. Like most people would love it. It paid quite well. 
But the reality is I got home at five and I had no pressure, no worries, nothing. And I was bored. And I'm like, okay, now I know I definitely cannot work for someone else. Only from the sense of, it was, you know, it's not like I didn't enjoy it. It's just, there wasn't that challenge. And I actually missed having that, that pressure, that challenge of like, what do I need to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was for one year. And then did you go right into another job or, or did cognitive marketing kind of, you know, peak up in your, in that last year? And that's what you've been doing since. Yeah. So what happened was then I started a a second lawn company that was on enhancement. So the first company was about lawn maintenance. So mowing the lawn, turning the beds, uh, cutting the shrubs type thing. The second one was all about how do we make your lawn look beautiful? So think about Mm. fertilizer, seeding, sodding, just making it actually look nicer. And I did that for one summer and, Mm. uh, went okay. Like not great to be honest. And we were planning this whole massive expansion for the year two. And then that that's when I started this cognitive marketing. Yeah. Uh, and the way that was started was I was in a, a fraternity and I was the guy that was throwing the parties. So mm. I always tell people I was like Van Wilder, except <laughs> not nearly as cool. Okay. <laughs> I, the party, but I, I wish I was as cool as him. Like if I could lie to people and say that, that would be great. But truth be told, <laughs> I was not nearly as cool, but I did throw some really great parties. Hmm. And so what happened was I had thrown a few different parties for a frat and in Canada, frat life isn't as big. So we actually threw them in nightclubs. Right. And, um, one time we threw a party and my good friend, his family started Mac cosmetics, which is like the, the big, uh, cosmetics brand that uh-huh. owned yep. by the lauder. And I'm like, Brett, like, just hook me up with free makeup. We'll give it away to all the girls that come to the party. Like just make it happen. Anyways, that, so what he, what they were do is they have a program where it, the, the parties actually all proceeds went to charity. Um, and so I actually got $30,000 worth of wow. free makeup to give away to all the, the girls. Yeah. Or no, it may have been like, even like 150,000. It was insane. Wow. And so that time we threw that party, we got over double the mum- number of people to that party to our next closest party we'd ever thrown. It was a huge success, the energy, everything. And that's when I'm like, oh my God, like they're like, people are actually coming to a party just to be advertised to because people literally came for the Mac cosmetics. Hmm. Like that's, that's why they came. I'm like, there's a whole opportunity. Cause like who likes watching ads? Like right. no one. I'm like, but this isn't advertising that people actually want to consume. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. I can turn a whole company by taking nightclub parties, turn them into trade shows as a way to advertise. Mm. And that's wow. actually how our company was initially formed was off of that. Yeah, fantastic. So really a real life sampling type of an exercise, right? Is that kind of what it became? Yeah, and what we did, yeah, and what we did is we we created immersive experience where the theme of the activities in that party would would resonate with a brand message. Yeah. So an example was like L'Oreal Professionnel did a whole hair salon showcasing their their um, you know hair products, but then we had professional hairstylists, we had a photo shoot, like a model style photo shoot. People could walk down the That's runway. Awesome. They had the fan blowing their hair while they're taking wow. pictures. So that and that was up on stage. That feeling of that you know, almost making people feel like they were a model. As it's part an experience. Yeah. Exactly. A real experience. Great. And so, uh, how did you monetize that then? How did that kind of develop into a business? 
Yeah. So basically we partnered with different student groups and they essentially made money for promoting the party and getting the people to the door. And then we made money off the sponsors. Right. And so that's the way it started, but we quickly evolved because it's a lot of work to organize these big events. And Hey, if we're really making our money off the sponsors, we then evolved to um, really taking sponsors and bring them to existing events. So we didn't have to work like, this way, we're still making the same money from the sponsors, but we weren't responsible for putting on the whole event, the logistics, all that planning, you know, rather just go to existing events rather than have yeah. to also put on your whole new events. Yeah, cool. Great. And uh, when did you hire your first employee? Uh, oh, it would have been like even before we threw the first party. Yeah. Uh, I started it with one individual. Um, and then very quickly we had for the one that this company started was four people immediately were, were getting paid almost like immediately. And then it just grew from there and we've evolved, you know, quickly. Um, and yeah, there's been, I think a few different evolutions. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So graduated from school, this is already kind of up and running and uh, it's kind of evolving obviously from kind of the party sampling to, to what, I mean, what was kind of the first big, you know, kind of aha moment when you either got a contract or a big commitment and you said, wow, I can really build something out of this. Yeah. The first big contract we got, which was when we did this like campus ambassador program, which is really bringing, you know, the spots to the events was with the Rogers wireless. They're the equivalent of like your AT&T sure. in, yeah, in the States. Yeah. Um, and, and so really, again, we focused on not just parties, but any sort of campus event. And how do we bring that brand message to life inside those events? Right. And we were doing that with them. And then, um, Again, we did get a break, which was one of our uh, biggest clients even today, which, you know, Canadian Tire, which is that brand that I worked with for one summer, um, they offered us the ability to run a sales program in their big box retail store in the worst, the coldest, most freezingest, like (laughs) the harshest conditions you could imagine. They're like, go out to this province called Saskatchewan, which is just north of north oh my Dakota. gosh oh yeah of north Dakota. Dakota. so you yeah. think about oh my like gosh. that freezing cold and they're like no one's covering that region so if you want it you could have it <laughs> and it was like everything else was covered like sure you could take it and that was really running sales programs which was a little different but very similar so you know our business was really around staffing these promotional reps at different events and right. we were then staffing these promotional reps but inside their retail store and selling uh, different products and services there. Right, right. And so cool. that was our big break. We um, sent out uh, a partner and an employee, and we're like, yeah, they'll be back in like a couple weeks, and <laughs> didn't, didn't come back. Then we had to send more people out. Then we had to send, next thing you know, like all the key management was there. And that actually was in 2008, which was the the, oh, yeah. uh, the financial crisis. Right, right. So at that point, ha- kind of leading up to it, we got to a point where just with everything going on, it was like we basically pitched, you know, a flag in and said, this is our make or bake. This is our burning boats. We either make it off this or right. the company's done, essentially. Yeah. That was our thing. So it was like there's no going back it's like we had to make it work and it was an extremely difficult program or mm. out for you know again extended periods of time i ended up being out there for four or five months in wow. the most freezing cold weather there was <laughs> oh, goodness and we were all working as long as we were awake so there was like no weekends there was right. no things so basically you're working around the clock wow. um 
and uh, we lost people along the way. When I mean by we lost people along the way, I mean, I literally- They didn't die. They didn't they, die. <laughs> I, I they moved on to other I opportunities. I, didn't, I, I don't hate myself enough to do this. I'm out. So we lost um, you know, uh, a minority partner at the time who's now running a really successful uh, real estate tech business in mm. California. Um, and some key employees were like, screw this, I'm gone. Right. Um, but we made it through and coming on the other end that really, you know, we really honed in on our ability to run, you know, retail sales programs where we're staffing and managing the programs. And that's where we like for, you know, call it 10 years. That was like a big, a sole focus of ours. Yeah. Awesome. Well, fast forward today, you've been almost 15 years, I guess, coming up on 15 years in business. And, you know, what, how would you kind of, you know, describe the business today? Who do you serve? What's the market? And, you know, give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, how that business has evolved. Yeah. So today, what I would say is that we're a retail tech company. Mm -hmm. And what we do is ultimately we provide technology to help um, retailers increase their sales revenue and oh. profitability. So we still have the staffing business and that's being powered by a workforce management technology we've built. Okay. And so we sell that technology to third parties or to retailers, and we're also leveraging it ourselves. Essentially what that does is that automates the entire life cycle. Their hiring process then of, of those hiring, mm-hmm. onboarding, right. Digitally done, all automated uh, training uh, through video, through digital like learning, um, scheduling, payroll, communications, uh, motivation. Mm. Um, So everything, if you think about everything that you typically do manually in managing these frontline staff, our system automates it. Wow, that's great. And, so and that's more, like a, a subscription service. Is that how that works? Or? That's how that works. Yeah. And so what was happening is we started that um, probably now close to five years ago. Wow. And that was, the idea was we're going to build it off of our internal company. So our internal company funded it. And then we're going to build it for a company um, to use, but with the idea that we'd start selling it to third parties. Right, right. And so our COVID partial pivot, let's say we, we went 45 degrees was really to like really speed that up even further. So we Mm. brought our like product roadmap up two years in the first three to four months of COVID. We just said, let's repurpose a bunch of people focus on developing that quicker and move that further ahead. So part, part one of our COVID pivot, which is like 45 degrees was to just speed up the development of that. Right. Right. Cool. The second part of that is the other tool that we have for our retail tech, which is uh, a plugin to e-commerce websites that enables video chat. Mm, and so right. the whole idea is if you're shopping online, how can you get that support of a real salesperson just mm. like you do in a physical shopping experience? Right. So, so not what, just a chat or an audio, it's mm-hmm. actually a video of someone sitting in a call center, right? And assisting them through the buying process including they could actually navigate the screen for you. They could help wow. you find the right products. They could answer cool. your questions. They could, you know, help actually then add products to your cart on your behalf. Yeah. So th- when you go in, in physical retail, typically that, you know, if you're supported, they're going to walk you up. They're going to showcase yeah. different things. They'll help you through the process. And we believe that that same experience 
uh, should be online. And, and is it a is it a two way video uh, opportunity with with those? It is. Folks? It is yeah. at the customer's discretion. discretion. Me, right. So they can the choose. The video yeah. is turned off for the customer to start as the as the default setting, but mm. the, uh, through conversation, the uh, rep could educate the customer, saying, "If you would like to turn on your video, here's the button to do so." Right. Um, yeah. But you know, it's completely up to the customer to yeah. decide what they want to do. Yeah. Cool. Great. And um, how is the business split today then between those various segments? Yeah. So really, I mean, we kind of have, we kind of almost put like one in like pure tech, which is pure SaaS. And then the other one is our staffing, which is powered by our workforce management tool. So we kind of, it's, it, it actually, you know, we had them all as we had, we had multiple different entities in COVID. We just brought them all together into one entity and they're basically operating as like two, standalone divisions within one corporate. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And how many total employees today, including kind of your corporate staff? You know, it's a good question. Uh, we're probably at my guess is somewhere between three to 400. And the reason being is just in COVID where our volumes are still substantially down. And and again, if if I answer you on in in a week, it's going to be substantially lower because as these lockdowns are happening in real time in Canada, there's less and less staff and then it will ramp up. We will get beyond um, our pre-COVID levels once, you know, full vaccine sure, is sure. out. But, you know, until that time, it's definitely like there's some clients that are just not staffing or reduced sure. staffing. So yeah. so are they contract workers in the U.S.? We'd call them like 1099s, right? In other These words, are they're full employees. Oh, they're full so employees. They're okay. full employees. And you can, uh, you can turn that on and turn that off fairly easily. Yeah, I mean, luckily, again, you know, the Canadian government really stepped in my opinion. And so um, they're allowing employers to essentially uh, furlough your employees and they then get supported. They cover the 75% of, yeah. yeah, Well, actually, and some of them will end up making more. Then there's a separate government program where you get paid a flat $500 a week. Right. And so imagine if you were earning minimum wage (laughs) and you weren't working that much. You know, and then all of a sudden you could go and say, hey, I'm getting this $500 a week thing. Like some people are doing better. Now, again, there are people that, you know, are struggling. So I don't want to minimize that. But um, it it, it certainly makes it easier for everyone that the government's stepping in and supporting. You start in those early days um, with just one or two employees during your college, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> period of time in your in your you know party uh, organization and sampling, and gosh, up to three four hundred now. Do, do you have a corporate staff as well? Do you you know how are you kind oh, of yeah. organized around that? And tell us yeah, a little so bit well, about how that looks. We like. were really ahead of this um, virtual uh, work. In fact, you know, we had planned to already get rid of our office as of. July of this year. So wow. when they reached out, you know, at the beginning of the year before COVID, we're like, we're not renewing as part of our budget. We weren't mm. renewing. And the reason being is, again, we have staff all across the country and Canada right. is just as big as the U.S. We right. just have a fraction of the population. Um, so we were already doing the remote work. We were on Microsoft Teams. Everything was up in the cloud. Mm. Um, we had chat based uh, technology through our own system that we we're constantly using. And we had already move to the whole remote work world. Right. So when COVID hit, it really, the only thing that changed is we said, you know what? We like Zoom better than Teams. So we switched to Zoom, but otherwise everything 
really stay the same. Yeah, great. And so do you have a typical structure, you know, like head of finance, head of marketing, you know, kind of the, the typical kind of organization structure that sits with you there in Toronto or exactly. remotely, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we, what we had also done is um, our entire finance team is, is actually overseas. So we had outsourced right. our entire department uh, for finance. Some of our recruiting was also done overseas. Sure. And then some of our development is done overseas yeah, as yeah. well for our technology cool. development. So we had already done that. So what we have is, yeah, your typical corporate structure. Um, what we had been doing is as we leveraged our technology, it's really interesting because when we, um, at one point we won the jobs growth award in the mm. top 500 for the most jobs created in a five-year period, which is we grew by 26 times. Um, and that was when we were all manual based, like everything we were doing was manual based. And then the whole shift to automation, as well as actually rather than adding on more employees where it makes sense, we are already shifting resources to right. appropriate um, places. So yeah. what we have is a core team, probably around, I would say at this point, maybe 50 corporate head right. office type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and the rest are either... Um, Again, either through like automation or outsourcing um, to the right key partners. Right, right. Well, you know, you started this business obviously in your early twenties as you came out, and yeah. um, you know, you're, you're 15 years along, and you've had to really learn leadership, you know, on the job. And, and yeah. share with us a little bit about some of those lessons learned, and maybe some of the tough situations you've been in and gone through, and you know what you've learned from it, and how, how your leadership's evolved over that time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a podcast around oh God, that. How so. much time do we have? No. <laughs> About five I, minutes left. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Okay. So Cole's notes. Um, what I would say is one of the biggest things was that, um, you know, it's kind of that the saying, the younger you are, the, the more you think, you know, it's like the more, you know, sure. the less you know, you don't yep. know type thing. So at the beginning, you know, I felt like, I knew it all and everything. Well, and you've been, to be honest, you've been running a business since you were 15, right? I mean, by the time you had a thousand customers, you probably had what, 40 or 50 people working for you and guys out there mowing and so forth. So, you know, you had some management experience. Yeah. And so for sure. And I think, you know, that's where, um, you know, our first growing pains, we had tripled in size year over year, uh, doubled in size year over year, three years in a row. So wow. from the previous year, we doubled, then we doubled again from that point to the next. And again, on a manual-based business where it's very labor-intensive, that's not easy to do. One of the biggest learnings was we actually fell behind the growth curve, meaning mm. we didn't have enough senior leadership and we were all playing catch-up. And so that's where we had some severe growing pains. Right. And ultimately, like again, the core of that probably was the the ego, right? Of thinking I knew it all, and right. the reality is, is I had to learn the hard way. Like we had some growing pains, which was like it was painful to operate the business just because we weren't operating as effectively, and I was overworked. It was actually not fun at all. Results weren't as great, and trying to operate a business when it doesn't, when it's not operating well, is not fun at all. And I think if I, if I had been, you know, now that I've kind of learned what I've learned, if I could go back and do it differently, I would have had a great, you know, advisory board. I probably would have hired some people who are way smarter than me earlier on. Mm. 
who had probably run businesses already of that size and had known how to set up the right IT infrastructure, right? right the right, right org structure, you know, leadership, how to operate bigger businesses. And you just don't know what you don't know. So things were operating great until they weren't operating great. Right? <laughs> right, right. And then when they're not operating great, it's like, holy crap. Like, I remember we had payroll <laughs> issues, We like because we were doing it all off Excel. And all some people were, all these people were complaining, hey, I got underpaid. So there was a whole mess online of like these online reviews of, you know, we're getting underpaid, which wasn't intentional. And yet on the right. flip side, all the people that were getting overpaid, which there were tons of people that were getting overpaid, <laughs> weren't complaining online. Exactly. It was, it was just, we, we had screwed up, right? And we didn't set up the systems to be at that scale. And so no one was really getting paid right. So the, <laughs> the people who weren't getting paid, which we had to fix right away, they got paid. The people who were overpaid, Good luck in getting a good chunk of that money back. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. Um, so I think that biggest learning of of knowing, you know, I think, and still today, I still have to improve on that, but I've yeah. made some drastic changes. Just I knowing that I don't know and that there's yeah. people that are better than you. Right, and I think right. I've, I've learned that where I want to take it even further is really, you know, still to a certain extent, that competitive nature in me growing up of wanting to win, wanting to be the best is sure. like, you know, I think the best leaders are ones where you literally put yourself aside for the cause. Right. Um, right. And that means it doesn't really matter about you being the best. It's about your impact. It's yeah, about right. um, the cause and, and what you're trying to do in the world. And I think yeah. I still can improve a little bit. I think I've grown a long way, but on really like taking myself out of the equation completely. And and in doing so, I actually think it does serve you in terms of happiness and ultimately getting to what you want further is when you're, it's not about you. It's about the cause, about the team, about what you're trying to accomplish. How do you decide if it's time to, you know, micromanage someone or, or stay out of their sandbox and let them fidget and figure it out? Yeah. Well, what I would say is, so a, a couple of things, and, and again, learning the hard way, we used to hire people who had no idea what they were doing and we would train them up from the right. start. So we have a right. whole methodology. Uh, we combine, you know, the old school situational leadership with our way of teaching. And we have T-E-A-C-H as an acronym of how to teach anything. Mm. Hmm. Um, but essentially now what I've learned is really, it's actually about hiring people who could do a better job than you can. So the first thing um, is really actually about recruitment and Brent, obviously sure. you understand that is like, yeah. Hey, if I could actually start and, and, you know, the best college football, basketball programs, they'll get it. Like the, the reason why they're so great isn't because the coaches are so great, which they are, but it starts with recruiting and even sure. they know that. Right. So yeah. number one is recruiting and having the great team members on board. Then really to, you know, it's a situational leadership. The, the more, you know, something, the more space we could give. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and then, you know, going, I'm not going to go through that whole model here, but essentially to me, it's like, if I feel comfortable that you know it all, then I'm going to give you a lot of space. I'll hold you accountable to the results, but I'm going to let it, you do it in your own way. And right. really it's coaching through you and through your knowledge and helping you more on the mental side of things and, and helping you see things that you might not see and support mm. you through it. Now, if you're struggling um, that's where you, you, um, are a lot more, uh, hands-on and supportive. And to be mm-hmm. honest, I really try to, I used to micromanage a lot. I don't like to, and from a very selfish standpoint, I don't want to do more work than I have to, <laughs> of course, from yeah. one end yeah. and on the other end from like, you know, to me, one of my, um, key, um, purposes in life is, 
um, you know, fulfillment through self-worth to help people achieve what matters most to them. Right. And so yeah. helping people learn and grow and improve their self-worth to actually achieve yeah. is what brings me joy. So when I support my yeah. team and I coach them and they grow, um, that's extremely rewarding to me as well. Yeah. Cool. What, what do you personally look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at Cognitive Marketing? Yeah, I would say, so when I'm doing my hiring, uh, yeah. there's a few things. So number one will be, again, I'm in that sense, I want to hire someone that's better than me. And luckily mm. as being the CEO, I actually could choose anyone that works for me. I have that ultimate decision. Mm. Um, and so one of the things is saying, looking at their past results, is it safe to assume that like basically whatever they tell you doesn't make any difference in terms of what they could do their past you have to use past as an indicator of the future so does the past give you evidence that they could do this job sure. either because they've already done it or because they've been doing it at a lower level but they're ready to step up so that's mm -hmm. number one number two i'm going to look at culture fit mm -hmm. um, so we actually rank them based on our values we look at 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 you know ask them questions how they act to see hey do they fit those values and then mm -hmm. another thing is really that kind of like that humble, um, mm. wanting to, to learn and grow because humble, the, humble and hungry. Huh? Exactly. Because <laughs> when they come in and they feel like they know it all and that attitude, like, I don't want that. I don't want politics in my company. I don't want that attitude. I want everyone to like, you know, I'm going to get more joy if I could actually support someone. And right. so part of my question is, is like, is this someone as an individual I could rally behind? Can yeah. I actually, feel good about investing in this individual. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, we're, we're just about out of time, Josh, but we have a couple other questions. And, you know, obviously um, looking toward a post-COVID, you know, vaccinated COVID world, and yeah. who knows how long that'll take, maybe another year or so. But, you know, you've already talked about how much of a remote change that you've made at Cognitive. What, what other kind of changes do you see ahead for your business or, you know, kind of for the industry as a whole, particularly the customers that you serve? Yeah. I mean, again, to me, everything is digital at this point. I think, mm -hmm. you know, e-commerce, there's uh, recently read a Forbes article saying e-commerce has uh, grown, like in terms of like dollars spent through e-commerce four to six years oh, it's incredible. Over, yeah. over this time period. Yeah. And yeah. I think that digital evolution is only going to pick up steam. So mm. might it go back a little bit as people could go around? Yes. But I think more and more customers and businesses are thinking, how do we interact digitally? So, you know, from a work perspective, that's an internal, that's like, Hey, how do we collaborate digitally? And from a business perspective and going outbound to your customers, your partners, it's all digital. So that's mm. why like, you know, right now, 90% of our focus is really on that digital and how do we support companies? in digitally interacting with right. their customers. Right, yeah, big change ahead, terrific. Well, lastly, you know, what, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office or, or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like you and, you right. know, continue their career? And what, what would you tell someone that maybe is uh, 10, 15 years behind you? Yeah, I would say is, you know, it's so interesting, but like when I look at if someone wants to be a CEO, you need to almost, you know, it's the same as like dress the part, I don't really care about dressing apart, but act like a CEO. Mm, Meaning yeah. when you think about what's in the best interest of the company, and when you think about from a P&L perspective and how certain decisions impact the company. Like when you right. start acting like a CEO, that's when people start taking you seriously. And so mm. whether you 
are, you know, whether C-level or VP level and you're, you know, reporting into a CEO, or even if you're lower down, when you start just thinking like that mm. leader, I think that's where you're going to get the opportunities to move up and eventually do that. Yeah. Um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I mean, it's so easy to say, but, you know, taking that first step, what is the smallest step you could take? And generally for me, the biggest piece of advice is writing a business plan in bullet form. Hmm. Once people, like I've probably helped probably at least 20 different people in some way, shape or form start their businesses. The best advice that I always give, because it gets them started, is write a business plan. And not yeah. this fancy business plan for the purpose of going out to investors, but it forces you to answer questions that ultimately basically tell you what you need to do to get started. Right. And right. and so by doing that basic business plan, which is really just bullet points, because it doesn't matter about how it looks, it just matter about forcing you to answer the questions. If it's the right thing, you're going to know everything you need. Like people's biggest question is like, what do I do next? How do I do this? Yeah. Write the plan. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Right. Right. Terrific. Well, Josh Singer, CEO and founder of Cognitive Marketing. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.